This is The Jewish Executive Project, a podcast that interviews inspiring and accomplished leaders in the world of business and entrepreneurship. Join veteran international businessman Mike Aaron and performance and leadership coach Rabbi Jacob Rupp, the executive director of H Minnesota, as they discuss what it means to lead through the lens of Jewish values. Gentlemen, I am thrilled to have on the Chief Rabbi Warren Goldstein, who is the Chief Rabbi of South Africa and an internationally known thought leader who is a pioneer in Jewish education, civil rights, um, and all around someone who advocates for the, the morals of the Jewish people on a world stage. He has his PhD uh, where he actually defended how Talmudic law was way ahead of its time in terms of political rights, women's rights, criminal law, and alleviation of poverty. Uh, we have a phenomenal discussion about Jewish leadership, about the etern- eternality, the eternal nature of Jewish, the Jewish law, the Jewish experience, Passover in general. He just put out, um, a, it's, it's amazing, his entire family recorded a podcast, the Goldstein Family Podcast on the Haggadah, um, which is the traditional book that we read on Passover. So this is a super timely episode. We so appreciate the, uh, the Chief Rabbi's time and look forward to sharing the interview with you. Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us on this really exciting podcast. We have Chief Rabbi uh, Warren Goldstein from South Africa, who also has a doctorate, but I never hear people call you Chief Doctor Rabbi Goldstein. So uh, I felt it appropriate to use that uh, terminology. Rabbi Goldstein is uh, arguably the youngest Chief Rabbi of South Africa. I think that is a fact, but yet the greatness of Rabbi Goldstein, and that's why I'm so excited to hear from him today, is that he keeps on having a reach that's global. And uh, we all know that when we lost uh, Lord Chief Rabbi um, Sachs, Oliver Shalom, we were all concerned about who's going to continue that global reach in their capacity as a chief rabbi. And I know that morning Rabbi Goldstein must have woken up and felt his shoulders that much heavy, because I think in many ways that's going to be over time transferred across to your shoulders because you have that unique ability to touch audiences on a global level. So really excited to have you here. And obviously being South African and from the same uh, shul that you uh, preside at, and I don't know if you know that my, of the 10 circles founding in that community, one of them is my family, the Aaron family circle. So there's all these additional connections. Okay, it's so lovely to talk to you, uh, Mike and uh, and Jacob. It's uh, it's, it's really uh, special, and Mike, especially our, our shared South African heritage. You know, it's such a such a special thing. You know, we have we come from uh, a shared background and culture and community, and uh, you know, I love to hear a familiar accent. You know, when, when we're doing these things, and um, and and thank you for your very generous and gracious uh, opening remarks. I appreciate it. I heard something in a podcast between yourself and Rabbi Akiva Tatz, and he's, he made a comment along the lines of, what can be better than having come from Lithuania, nurtured and developed in South Africa? And, and I think that's so true. Rabbi Rapp, just quickly, I want to tell you, I was in Austin not so long ago, sorry, San Antonio, not so well, pre-COVID time, so it is a long ago. And uh, this gentleman says, what is it with you South African Jews? And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, you guys arrive in our cities. And the first thing you do is you 
you get involved in the schools, you get involved in the shuls, you make sure the mikvahs are up and running. What is it about you guys that you always want to contribute before you consume? And I thought, wow, what a beautiful compliment. Yeah, and I think that's such an important, it's something obviously, you know, that, that I think uh, we're, we're so proud of as a community, you know, that uh, South African Jews have and continue to make an enormous contribution to communities uh, globally, you know, through, through the immigration from South Africa, we've actually exported a, a lot of um, wonderful people to all parts of the globe to make a contribution. But I love that phrase about being a contributor, not a consumer, because I think if one's reimagining a world and rebuilding a Jewish world post the global pandemic, the most important paradigm shift that we need to embark upon is to shift from being consumers to being contributors and to shift from being customers and clients to becoming partners in creating a better world together because it's only that sense of partnership and ownership that really uh, brings out the best and the sense that we're all in this together. I, I wanted to ask just in, in general, in terms of, I know a little bit about Mike's background, but your background as well. How did that sense of global responsibility and becoming a contributor first, where did that come from and how did you nurture that over your young life and then your, your career as a rabbi? Are you, you know, I think, look, firstly, with, within the, the, the culture of the South African Jewish community, there's a lot of this, you know, this value of, of, of contribution. Um, and, and it's also, I think it's something which is so profoundly intertwined with, with Torah values. The idea that we are here not to, to take, but to give, and we're here to make a difference and uh, the remarkable irony is that the way that, that God has created the world is that when we are making a difference to the lives of others is when we feel our deepest sense of satisfaction. But it, it goes to the heart of what it means to be a Jew, because if you think about it, the most profound and central word of what defines a Jew is the word mitzvah, which people often translate as a good deed, but it's much deeper than a good deed. It's a commandment. It is it is an instruction, it is a call to action, it's a call to contribution, it is really God's call to each and every single one of us to say, we are not in this world to serve ourselves, we are in this world to serve him and to help the people around us. And actually, the, 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 the real message of the Torah is that that is not altruistic, it is altruistic because it's a call to transcend self, but uh, in, in, in this beautiful irony, God has created the world in such a way that when we are giving and contributing and making a difference and transcending self is when we feel a deeper sense of connection to ourselves. And when we are looking to consume and to only accumulate is actually when we feel empty. You know, the Vilna Gaon said in a letter that he wrote to, to his wife and children when he was going, when he was uh, attempting to make Aliyah and he was going to be away from home for a long time and he wanted to bring his family across. In the end, he aborted his mission, which is a whole story in its own, its own. But in, the, in his parting letter to them, he compared the blind pursuit of materialism and, and, and self-centeredness like to salt water, to drinking salt water, because the more you drink, the thirstier you become. So you feel like you're quenching your thirst, but you're actually only making yourself more thirsty. And actually, we, we feel satisfied when we are doing good. We, we have been hardwired by God to be happiest when we're doing good. Rabbi, there's also, Rabbi Rapp, there's also another thing, because you know, I so often 
ponder this question that you just asked Rabbi Goldstein, because we live in a society in America where I don't feel that net contributor sentiment nearly as much as I was used to in South Africa. So constantly we ponder it. And I think one of the things that really helped growing up in South Africa is the leaders of the Jewish community, the rabbis, the leaders of the not-for-profits. There was a sense that all the Jews are in the Jewish community together. And whilst they might attribute varying degrees of priority to each of the different causes, they knew they were part of the causes. So for example, I often come across in, Sa in uh, San Diego in America, if a, if a sort of a secular assimilated Jew, if you ask him to uh, get involved in charity towards a, uh, a, an Orthodox or religious cause or a Zionist cause, that's not for me, I won't give a penny. That was very foreign in South Africa. You had people in South Africa would say, that's not my priority, but I understand the importance that all institutions within the community, even if it's not my thing, are still important for them to be strong. And I know with my father, my father said, and he always taught me, find all the good shuls in your, in your community and pay membership dues there. Even if you don't go there, they all need to be strong. And I, and I think that, am I right, Rabbi Golson? That was kind of a prevailing sentiment in South Africa, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. This, this idea that, that uh, firstly, we're all on the same team together. The other idea of transcending labels and saying, well, no, that's too religious or that's too Zionist or we're all part of the Jewish people. We're all part of Am Yisrael. And, and that sense that, that, that we're all here to make a difference and that we are not in competition with one another. That, that actually, if one organization thrives, then, then that's the success of everybody. And if one shul thrives, that's the success of everybody. And, and you know, that sense of working together. Part of that was, was you know, in, in you know, the, the line that captured the, 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 the Shabbos project has always been keeping it together. So it, it was that sense of we're going to do this together, not alone. And then when you're doing things together, that's, that's when the beauty and the magic comes. There's that real sense of collaboration, of partnership. And to me, it's all about partnership and seeing that we're part of something which is bigger than ourselves. You know, there's an, there's an amazing phrase in the, um, in the Talmud where it says that God calls upon us to be to be a partner with God in creation. That, that, that we are there to partner with him and with each other. And I love the idea of partnership. To me, that goes to the heart of what leadership is about. It's about catalyzing partnerships because you can't do anything worthwhile on your own. Only, the only good things that come in the world are from collaboration, come from sharing because everyone's got different talents and different things to contribute. And when we work together, wow, then awesome things can be achieved. And when, we, when we're pulling in different directions, then no matter how talented a person may be individually, nothing good comes from that. It's, it's, it's the power of collaboration and contribution. I, I wanted to ask then, because I know so much of your study and so much of your work, and I know this is a major theme that Mike focuses on a great deal as, as well, is that you know, when it comes to advocating for the values that the Torah speaks about when it comes to advocating for Israel, when it comes to even, even ideas like what we're suggesting with, with the, the, the way that the world is going, it seems like more and more there's this loneliness and there's this sense of, of ostracization. I don't think that's the right way to say it, right? Of, of, of the, right? <laughs> the, 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 of, of, of our values and how we show up on the world stage. So perhaps if you could share a little bit about how that approach of keeping 
keep of, of working together and of partnership and of advocating these kinds of very important values, how has this affected you in some of the projects you've been working with outside of the Jewish community? Well, I think, you know, for, uh, one, one, for example, this notion of contribution. A number of years ago, um, I was at a, a presidential award ceremony and there was a luncheon afterwards. And um, it's always amazing at these things in South Africa, uh, as I'm sure it must be in the United States. Um, but, you know, obviously there is, uh, there's always kosher food at these official events. Uh, there's always, a very, you know, a official Jewish representation, often with prayers, you know, that, that I would give at a presidential inauguration, whatever it may be. And, um, and, and there wasn't this, you know, we sit at these dinners with, um, with, with a plate, I mean, pre-COVID days, obviously, but uh, your plate uh, double wrapped in tinfoil with all the stickers, with, with the heksha on it. Um, you know, so I'm sitting in this mountain of tinfoil amongst all of the, the government dignitaries and um, gives me a great sense of pride. You know, I think back to my great grandfather who, who came to South Africa from Lithuania. He was only 17 and he came to a country that he didn't know. And, you know, now in, in, in the new South Africa, there's this real tremendous embrace of diversity and, and a space for the Jewish community. When I was at that a number of years ago, I saw the, at the table next to me was the Minister of Education, the then Minister of Education, Naledi Pandor, who's today the Minister of International Relations. And she, um, I walked over to her on a whim at something I'd been thinking about. And I said, you know, we have a Bill of Rights in South Africa, but uh, why don't we draft a Bill of Responsibilities um, for, for the schooling system, for the youth of South Africa. And, and the thinking that, of that is that every right comes with a responsibility. And so let's draft something which is, there's a right to dignity, but then there's the responsibility to treat every person with dignity. And what does that actually mean in practical terms? Greeting people, treating them with, with kindness, how we talk to them, et cetera, all of those different aspects of it. And um, she loved the idea. She loved the idea and said, okay, let's, let's do it. And, and so from that conversation at the luncheon, uh, she asked me to send her a first draft. I did. Um, and uh, I, I drafted that Bill of Responsibilities. I sent it to her. I then shared it amongst my colleagues in the National Religious Leaders Council, where I sit with, together with Christian, Muslim, Hindu uh, leaders from right across all of the faiths in South Africa. And from that emerged a project called the Bill of Responsibilities, which was then adopted by the Department of Education in South Africa and is now part of the curriculum, which is taught in schools throughout South Africa, just from that conversation. But the root of the idea was, was, was this Torah idea is that well, the world is about mitzvah. You see, rights is what you take from society. Responsibilities is what you give. Now, of course, you do need rights because apartheid South Africa showed us what a society looks like without rights. And today's actually human, uh, it's, it's Freedom Day in, in, in South Africa. So we, you know, we're celebrating freedom and, and human rights and, and everything that it stands for. So certainly as South Africans, we know what a society looks like without rights, but you cannot have a society with rights and no responsibilities. The responsibility is what you give, rights is what you take. You have to be able to give and to contribute. And that was an idea that was, that was rooted in, in Torah. And that's why for me, uh, you know, as the, as the Mishnah says, turn it over and over because everything is in it. Uh, you know, God looked into the Torah and he created the world, our sages teach us. So the blueprint for, for a better world is in the Torah. And so I kind of looked into that blueprint and brought it to the Minister of Education and said, okay, here, here is a Torah idea. Let's implement it. It was presented to the president in a meeting with religious leaders and was adopted. And, uh, and, and so that notion of contribution, the idea of mitzvah, uh, then, then, then had a tremendous impact in a real practical way. So 
I am busy working, uh, as Rabbi Raps aware of, with a, a really fundamentally successful and well-established and well-respected industrial psychologist on training programs for leaders in large, larger institutions. The challenge being is that there's been a lot of upward mobility from sort of um, less trained and less experienced uh, people man into managerial level uh, um, capacities. And with the whole change, you know, the cancer culture, the work movement, the sensitivity, et cetera, they really don't have any training or experience in dealing with that. So this friend of mine is putting together a program, really great program, and I'm involved in helping develop that. But it's called the Leadership Initiative Training, et cetera. And I asked him the other day, I said, just out of interest, because a lot of younger people in the project, they were on the call, isn't leadership a bad word amongst millennials? And I kept quiet. And the millennials all started talking, said, yes, leadership implies dictators, autocratic. So we try to come up with another word that might be more acceptable. Anyway, the word we came up with was empowerer, person who empowers. And then I said, then I asked the question, so if leadership is a bad word, what is a person who feels they want to step up to a task going to now call themselves? Yes. And the automatic reaction was leader. So that's a bad word. And then I said, if it's now to empower, what responsibility comes from those that they now empower? And it was interesting because the formula hadn't been thought through. In other words, the concept of leadership seems to be an evolving interaction between those who empower and those who are empowered. Yeah. And I think there's a journey still to happen in all of this, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting, this, this point you make of the discomfort with the concept of, of leadership per se, because you know, I've often thought that Torah on the one hand obviously has leadership structures within it, and, and, and that's, that's a clear part of it. On the other hand, there is a dimension of discomfort within Torah philosophy towards the, the idea of leadership, uh, it's, it's because really everyone is a leader. You know, it's, it's um, uh, you know, when, at, at the moment when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, he, he said to the people, you'll be a kingdom of, uh, of, of leaders, of priests, of people who go out and make a difference, carrying a message. And, and we were all charged with that sense of responsibility that, that every single person is a leader. So I've, I've been, I've, I've written and, and done a lot of thinking on this and came up with, with the following uh, way of looking at leadership, perhaps, that, that could be a little bit different and maybe would address some of the issues that you, you're dealing with in this initiative that you're, uh, that you're leading, which, which sounds to be so noble, um, that, you know, in Western style leadership, I would term it top down. It's, it's very hierarchical and there's a lead at the top. And then, then African leadership is, um, I would say, is more bottom up. You know, there's the, there's the sense of uh, an imbizo, you know, where the, where the king would call the, the tribe together and he has all of the different opinions. He reflects it and they, they create a consensus. So even you'll find in political structures, you know, in South Africa, I've seen it firsthand. And, and I think in many parts of the continent, there's this idea of reflecting the group and, and creating consensus from it. So those are two leadership models, top down, bottom up, and they've both got advantages and disadvantages and they're cultural in their thing. I think the Torah leadership model is, is a third path that I want to suggest. 
And that is not top down or bottom up, but inside out, which means this, you lead yourself first and then you, you, you lead in, in ever expanding circles of influence moving outwards. So you start with yourself. Leadership has to start with personal integrity, character, refinement, uh, self-mastery. That's where it starts. As the Mishnah Pirkavot says, Ezehu Gibor who is the person who has real power, the person who achieves self-mastery. So it's, it's, it's inward first, and then you start expanding outwards. And then everyone is a leader. Just the question is how wide this circle of influence, because you, you, you first you lead yourself, then you lead your family, spouse, children, parents, uh, siblings, then, then friends, then community, you know, then, then, then shul, then school, then, then the broader community, then society. And, and you've got ever expanding circles of influence. So in fact, every person within society is a leader in one way or another. Uh, it's only a question of how wide their circle of influence. People who have official leadership positions have a wider circle of influence, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean there are two categories of people's leaders and followers. They're, we're all leaders and we all have a duty and a responsibility of influence. And, and I believe that the concept of, you don't lead people because as the, the millennials were saying to you in that discussion, leading people implies there are followers who are blindly following. I think that the, the idea is, is more the concept of influence and sharing ideas, and then those ideas spread. And so it's, it, it's, it's a softer form of leadership, which is ultimately the, the leadership of influence, and that works uh, from the inside out. And I think that, that to my mind, goes to, to the heart of what the Torah concept of leadership is all about. I absolutely love that. And by the way, Rabbi, I'm just going to ask, uh, make a comment, ask one more question, then Rabbi Ruff's going to take over on the Seder and that. But what you just said now, so we have five family principles. What you just said now is so consistent with three of them. One is that you run your own race. Other people's standards of win and loss do not affect yours. You wake up, yes. you know whether you're a winner or a loser for yourself. One, you run your own race. Two, the second one is Every single night you say, was I a net consumer or net contributor to society and those in my concentric circle? But the third one as well is, you are your own living world by your behavior. And yes. what you just said now about that internal leadership spreading outwardly, so that's beautiful. One last question for you, and then I'll hand it over to poor Rabbi Rapp's been listening so much. But there's a lot of articles being written with this woke cancel culture is us Jews are really caught in this like no man's land. So the minority looks at Jews as being white and affluent, therefore the bad majority. But the majority, at least in this country, often looks at Jews as that minority that has too much abundance considering they're only a minority. So these articles being written, are Jews a minority or are they a majority? And who is our natural ally? We seem to be disliked by the minority and disliked by the majority. Now, I, at 59 years old, I'm kind of used to that and it doesn't bother me as much. But what, what would you tell like a 18 to 25-year-old young Jewish person, 18 to 30-year-old who just is kind of getting hit from all sides nowadays? <clears throat> I think this, it goes back to, to core principles, meaning... To be a Jew is about our mitzvahs that, that uh, Hashem gives us 
to, to, to run our lives in accordance with those. And at the heart of the mitzvahs are values, Jewish values. And, and I think this, we need to be anchored in life. And I think this applies both as a, as a community, as a nation, it also applies as an individual. You need to be anchored by your values. We, even as an individual, let's put aside the question of anti-Semitism, you know, which, which is unfortunately a part of the reality of, of, of life and has been, you know, since we can ever remember, we're gonna say in the Haggadah, Vihishamda. So we, 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 know, we, know what it's, you know, we know what it's about, but I think there's also a lesson in, in our personal lives. And that is, uh, we, we, if we're leading from the inside out, that means we know our values, we know why we are here, we know our purpose, we know our mission, we have our mitzvahs to do, we have our values to live in accordance with, and we must just stay focused on that as an individual as well. That means we, we, we cannot, we need to listen for feedback from people because we can't be isolated from feedback, but we have to be centered. If we're going to live our lives, whether as individuals or as a community, based on what other people tell us who we are and who we should be, we, we will have no North Compass. <clears throat> we'll have no way to, to maintain a path, no, no way of maintaining a direction. The only way we can re retain our sense of balance is being anchored by our values at the center of who we are. I know that even, let's say, from the, from the perspective of my own uh, job that I do as chief rabbi, I, I have many, I have people who are, who are criticizing this and criticizing that. I have people who are suggesting this and suggesting that. And if, if, I, if, I, if I'm going to do my work as chief rabbi based on uh, a popularity contest based on what is going to make the most people happy, then I'm not doing my job. I'm not being a leader. I have to be centered by the values. Now, there's a balance because a person can't be, um, in a certain sense, uh, emotionally and spiritually uh, sealed off from what's going on and, and feedback. We need to listen for feedback because there, there can be very valuable feedback. On the other hand, we need to be centered around our values. And I say that that applies to a person in their own personal life. It applies in, in the job of work that you do. It also applies as a community. Ultimately, as the Jewish community, we need to be centered around our values. It is our values, our mitzvahs, our Torah that has, that has helped us stay the course as a people. And when we have that, we're able to transcend all else. You know, there's in 1938 in Johannesburg, uh, the, the, uh, the head of the Beth Din at the time, Rabbi Yitzchak Kosovsky, um, and, uh, you know, as uh, uh, Mark, I know you've, uh, uh, the, 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 the Kosovsky name is, is part of South African heritage. I can see you smiling. And Rabbi Yitzhak Kosovsky uh, delivered a message to the South African Jewish community in 1938. And it was just on, obviously on the eve of the Holocaust. He didn't know what was lying around the corner. And he was talking about Pesach. And he said, Pesach is called the time of our freedom, Cheirut. But he said the normal Hebrew word for the word Cheirut, freedom, is is either drawer or chofesh, but not cherut. Cherut comes from the Hebrew word engraved, engraved on the tablets, because he says it's not just about freedom, it's about transcendence. And if and engraved on the tablets, our Ten Commandments representing the Torah is we can transcend anything and we stand the test of time and we're able to get through any challenges. But when when our when we're engraved, when we connected to those words of the Torah, then we have our values, we have our centerpiece, and then we can transcend anything. And in a certain way, it liberates us 
from all of the turbulence that surround us, because there will always be turbulence and there will always be critics and there will always be challenges and difficulties. But if we stay focused on who we are and where we come from and where we're going, our values, our mitzvahs, then we, then we can go forward with confidence and reach out with love and compassion to every human being. But, but we do that from a place of being centered. So we have the freedom to survive and thrive. Exactly. Not just to survive. That's, I love what you said. We're not just here to survive. I think that these themes are so absolutely crucial for, I mean, obviously forever, but, but especially in the time in which we find ourselves where, again, just the, this image of the Pesach Seder, which is that you'll have multi-generations representing multi-components you know, components of different values, sitting down, talking together, trying to find, trying to set forth really that. Um, and again, this is beautiful because you have this podcast where it's you and your children sitting and discussing these themes. But perhaps if the, if the chief rabbi could give us some direction, okay, now I'm a father. Um, I'm trying to inspire, let's say, my children in terms of, and again, let's say they're children who are at a point where they're really thinking independently. They're surrounded by social media. They're surrounded by their friends. They're surrounded by their educational systems, whether it's Jewish or not. What are the most important things when we sit down to the Seder or in general as parents that we're trying to, to deliver to our children when it comes to the most important things about being Jewish in the modern day that we're trying to like inspire them with? Well, the, this, is, this is actually why um, we decided to do this podcast together as a family. I did it, uh, we recorded it, my wife and I and, um, and our children. And we, we did it over a, a few, I mean, we, we get together as a family once a week on a Sunday night to learn to learn Torah together. Sometimes it's the weekly portion. Sometimes it's the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. We all go through different things. And, and firstly, that forum of a family discussion is, is so important because it's not a forum in which I give a shiur. I'm not giving a lecture. We are having a chavruta. We are having a discussion uh, where everyone's voice counts and everyone's opinion counts and everyone's questions count. And I'm not answering their questions. They are answering mine, I'm answering theirs. I'm asking questions, they're answering, they're asking, I'm answering. We, we, it, it's a conversation. And I think starting, the, the starting point in, in parenting is, is not to lecture our children. We need to engage in open conversations around our Torah values. So this podcast was really uh, created with that vision because then as it was getting closer to, to Pesach, you know, we thought, okay, let, let's do it on, on the Haggadah. So we took four or five weeks where we recorded our discussions. We thought maybe people would be interested to hear it. So we recorded it and we've created this podcast series of going literally through the entire Haggadah from start to finish. Um, it's in eight parts and, um, and, 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 it's, what we're trying to convey is not just the content of it, because what we do is try to show the flow and the structure of the Haggadah. But what we're also trying to convey in the, in the discussion is a methodology, a vision for how a Jewish family can grow together with Jewish values. And the Haggadah is, is, is so perfect for that, because the Haggadah is a journey through Jewish history. So we step onto those pages, we get transported back to Egypt, we get transported to the Seder of Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues, 
we we try we 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 enter the seders and connect with generations of Jews who for thousands of years have been having a seder and eating the matzah and the marrow. We 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 link into something which is not just history and the past. It's about the present and the future. And to me, this is the crucial thing to 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 really make that transition when it comes to 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 Pesach, and that is. Do not treat this as a festival of history. Pesach is not about the past alone. It is about the intersection between past, present, and future. And as Jews, we have a very unique relationship with time. We never view history as something that occurred in the past. It is something that we live with today. That what happened in Egypt is we went through slavery and suffering and we were liberated by God. That impacts today because today it makes us more compassionate towards other people who are in situations of suffering. It makes us more, um, a, more sensitive to the evils of racism. It makes us more sensitive and open to the, the, the greatness of the human spirit. It also gives us a deep connection of faith in God because we realize the miracles of God that carried us through Egypt are miracles that have accompanied us throughout our history and to this day, uh, throughout our history in a more hidden fashion than they were uh, at the time of, of Egypt, but nevertheless there. It is a night of faith in God, and it's also a night of mitzvahs, where we praise God, where we have the matzah, we have the, the four cups of wine. So it is a, an immersive spiritual experience, and it is about bringing a family into it. And that's what we try to get across in this podcast series, the sense of the, the, the immersiveness of this whole experience and what it means as a family to have a real open conversation about Jewish identity, about Jewish values, about history, about destiny, about the past, present, and the future. I, I love that. That sounds so exciting, and we're so excited to listen to it. Perhaps if you could reflect, this element of the future is always something that, again, just from the perspective here in America, you've seen such a dramatic shift and so much polarization that you could speak to someone on either side, and there's a tremendous amount of despair, there's a tremendous amount of hope, but it's like, we're on such different sides of it. And then as, as community, again, communal leaders, as parents, as just people in general that are such a small minority, but so vocal and sort of at this place where we're trying to give over some kind of messaging, what is the central um, what, component of faith that we want to walk out of, you know, finishing the Seder night, finishing the holiday of Passover, as we go through our lives as Jews, what is that lesson that's going to keep us motivated to go forward and and, and positive? I think um, what it really is about is this idea of, of purpose, that, that our lives have purpose and that we have a mission and that that mission is something which is, which is beautiful, which has a, a deep history. There is nothing that we do that is outside of the framework and, 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 and it infuses every part of our lives with meaning and purpose. That Jewish identity, and this is the crucial thing, cannot be defined by anti-Semitism. If Jewish identity is defined by anti-Semitism, then it is an identity which holds no uh, compelling reason to continue. Because it, it and, and, and this, you know, when, when, when dealing with issues of assimilation and, uh, and, and the question of the future of the Jewish people, the, the real question that we have to give an answer to is why be Jewish? 
We, 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 need to, we need to be able to address the most fundamental questions. That is what the, the Pesach Seder does. That is what the Haggadah does. It answers that question and it says, because we have a mission that was given to us by God more than 3,300 years ago, and that is not a matter of speculation. It is historical fact because it has been handed down from generation to generation. Think about it that every year at the Seder, for thousands of years, this is what Jews have been, the, the actual matzah, the maror, the, the, the whole discussion, it is about giving the context of what it means to be a Jew and that it is rooted in a specific history, a factual history, which then informs a mission and that says uh, it is fills our lives with, the, with, with, with a real sense of, of meaning of why it is exciting and compelling to be a Jew, because actually we, we have a blueprint that was given to us by God, and it's a blueprint which has held our nation together, and that if we look across the sweep of Jewish history, we have a miraculous existence that there is no other nation on earth that has had this. There's no other nation on earth that has survived dispersion, exile, persecution, and come out on the other side, but also a nation that has given values to the entire world, a nation that has seen since, you know, that, that, uh, that message I, I mentioned from Rabbi Kosofsky in 1938, since he delivered that message about the indestructible nature of the Jewish people, the miraculous indestructible nature of the Jewish people, we saw a Holocaust, but then we saw the miraculous rebirth of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel through the birth of the state of Israel. We have seen the rebirth of Torah learning throughout the, the Jewish world. We have seen miracles. We are a nation of, of miracles and wonder, and we're a nation of purpose and meaning. We're a nation that makes a contribution and that makes the world into a better place, and that to live as a Jew each and every single day is something which is exciting and it is compelling. And that is part of what is conveyed. The Seder is the origin story of the Jewish people. And when we convey the origin story to our children, we are actually bringing them into the very essence of what it means to be a Jew. And so I think that's also why throughout the Jewish world, the Pesach has gripped the Jewish imagination in the most powerful and profound way. And, uh, and, and that's also why we, we did this podcast series, because we realized people are searching and they searching for a way to to bring meaning and fresh inspiration to their seders. So it's 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 really there as a a series for people to to connect with. And um, we, we've called it uh, the Goldstein Family Podcast. And uh, this is the Pesach edition of it. You know, please, God, there will be other editions uh, in, in the months and years ahead. This is this is. Um, uh, our debut edition of this. I've done many podcasts of my own, but never, as you know, as a whole family sitting around the table, everyone giving in. And, you know, if you listen to it, you'll hear there's a lot of fun, there's jokes, there's laughing, there's questions, there's discussion, there's open debate. Like around that table, I'm not the chief rabbi, I'm just the, a father at the table, and my kids are arguing back with me, and we're we having this, this like real open discussion and debate. And I think that's what Jewish families need to do, but around the Haggadah. Where, we, where we, we connect with faith in God and faith in what it means to be a Jew and come out from it inspired, not just with the past, but with the future. I, I, I wanted just to, to ask explicitly, because I think that it's a very important piece, you know, as we, as we, again, just from an American perspective, so many people grapple with this interplay between, you know, personal responsibility and I want to figure out what's right for me. How important is it 
for someone who's trying to find their way in the world to bring in, I think that's this idea of bringing in, call it scripture, call it Torah, call it the Haggadah if we're talking about Pesach. Why is it so important for as a person tries to find themselves to leverage texts that are in many cases written thousands of years ago? Why do you advocate that versus saying, let's just turn on the news and let's have a, an open discussion about you know, what just happened last week? Yes, uh, it's, it's, it's a great question and so important to, to deal with that. At, at, uh, when all is said and done, the, the Torah is a text like none other that exists. And, uh, and I think it's important to, you know, to, to say it out loud and proudly. And it's something which I've devoted my life to, to uncovering the wisdom of it. And that is, it is the wisdom of God that you know when we talk about pesach we are talking about the fact that our that our people as 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 jews and generations past saw the 10 plagues we saw the splitting of the sea we heard god speak at mount sinai we heard all of this and he gave us a blueprint i mean my phd which i did in human rights and constitutional law um, that mike so kindly referred to before and is, is all about showing the greatness of Torah as a legal system from the perspective of, of human rights and, uh, and constitutional law insights that Torah had thousands of years before the rest of the world had it. And I did a PhD, which was done at a university in South Africa, Wits um, uh, University, but it was marked by uh, external invigilators from Harvard and from Barilan University who, who assessed, the, who assessed the, 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 the work. But there have been so many other studies that have done. That's only my own personal connection to it, which show the greatness of Torah as a system of, of divine, um, divine guidance and wisdom. And so what I would say to, to anybody listening to our discussion today is that this is the repository of the wisdom of God and it is the repository of the wisdom of generations of Jews for thousands of years that have been unpacking God's wisdom after he revealed it to us at Mount Sinai. Because when God revealed the Torah at Mount Sinai, he began a conversation with us. And ever since that moment that he gave us the Torah, uh, generation after generation, family after family, uh, teacher to student, parent to child has been unpacking this wisdom and it's got everything in it that you need. Everything. There is nothing that is not covered by the Torah. And the wisdom of how to of how to be a better person, of how to have a happy marriage, how to be a good parent, the wisdom of how to be ethical in business, how to make a contribution to society, how to fight racism, how to build an economy, how to have compassion, how to look after people, how to um, the, the ethics of battle, the ethics, medical ethics, the, 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 the wisdom of how to find happiness, of how to develop your character, of how to find humility, of how to find kindness, of how to find uh, refinement, and all of these things, this, it's all there. It's all there. The, we, we have within our grasp the greatest treasure on earth, the greatest treasure on earth. All we need to do is unpack it. And I saw that so powerfully in the, in, 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 in the Shabbat project when we brought the, the, the power of the idea of Shabbat. You know, in, in one of the discussions that I had around it with Professor Dan Ariely, who is uh, one of the foremost behavioral scientists in the world. And um, he, he, he helped me a lot in the initial thinking of it. And, and, and he, he, he said, you know, the, the genius of Shabbat, of the concept of it, where, because he said this, the thing that people chafe against the most about Shabbat, and you know, it was, 
Justice Louis Brandeis, a Supreme Court judge of the United States, Jewish judge is famously known. And um, he, he will marvel at Shabbat. He had an uncle who kept Shabbat, even though he did not. And he saw it in his uncle's home and he, he described Shabbat using the words of the English poets in another context. And he described it as stealing a day out of life to live. Right, stealing it out of life to live because you—it's you, it's the only time that you have a chance to really live. Live means, you know, relationships means connecting to your loved ones, connecting to your family, friends, connecting to yourself, connecting to God. It's—it's it's really about living. But you know what, Justice Lee Brand, I said he doesn't understand. He said there's too many restrictions in the day. That was the only thing he said he didn't understand about Shabbat. You know what, Professor Dan Ariely said. Uh, writing and he spoke to me and he's and he spoken about this publicly it is those restrictions that actually create the day here, here is the, the amazing thing he said it lifts the mental load because you can decide i'm going to switch off my cell phone for 25 hours anyone can decide they're going to do that or put away their car keys for 25 hours but knowing that you could switch it on at any moment creates its own stress but on shabbat because you're not allowed to because you're not allowed to then, then you actually have lifted the mental load because it's off the table. You can't even, I remember a few years ago, I was talking to um, a senior person in the president's office and I was waiting for an answer from the president on a particular matter, it was Friday afternoon and Shabbat was coming in and I said to him, look, I have to tell you that in, in two hours, my phone's gonna be switched off for 25 hours. And if, if, you, if you're trying to get hold of me and my phone is off and I don't reply, return your calls, it's not because I'm being disrespectful to you or the president, it's just that it is Shabbat and that's what it is. And then I explained to her Shabbat rather sheepishly and then she, she said to me, I'm jealous of you. I wish I could do the same. And, and I, th this, I'm just giving this as an example. Shabbat is the calling of our times. It is a compelling mitzvah. It can transform our lives in the most powerful way. And it's just an example of the incredible wisdom which is in the Torah that is, that is, 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 is the gift of God to, to, to our people. And so it is something that we need to treasure and my message to anyone who's listening to this, we are sitting on the greatest treasure on earth and let's, let's delve into it. Let's open our hearts and minds and it can take us to the most magnificent place in our lives and help us to create the best version of ourselves, the best version of our families and the best version of the world in which we live. And Rabbi, just to answer, Rabbi Raph, to answer one of your questions on a simplistic level, if I had to just turn on the news, I'd be overwhelmed and anxious but knowing that the intersection of the Torah and our history intersects with today's present my attitude is been there done that survived and thrived <laughs> exactly exactly outstanding Rabbi Goldstein I so profoundly appreciate you taking the time to speak with us to share these very important messages I want to reiterate the podcast his name is the Goldstein family podcast Pesach edition is that that's what it is yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, and, okay. and where, where can our listeners find out more about it? They can, you? you can get it on wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, or um, you can also get it off my website, which is chiefrabbi.co.za. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's there for download as well. Um, and uh, you should be able to find it. And, you know, uh, come and join us on that journey as you prepare for your own uh, Pesach Seder. Amazing. Thank you so much for the time. Wishing you a wonderful Pesach. Thank you. It's been so wonderful to be with both of you. It's uh, been an absolute joy. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. For more information or how to reach us, please follow us on social 
and reach out to jrupp at aish.edu.